You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 315. If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Tony Robbins. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, today's guest is legendary, literally legendary, because it is actor, writer, director, and producer Kevin Sorbo. Kevin was a star of one of the most watched shows in the world in the mid-90s called Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. During that time, he accepted his first leading role in a fantasy action feature called The Conqueror, who is Conan's father for Universal Studios. He also helped spin off Xena Warrior Princess and has worked on just so many movies over the years. It's quite, quite impressive. I even got to work with Kevin on a film called Abel's Field, where I was a colorist and post-production supervisor years ago. In this conversation, we talk about what he looks for as an actor in independent films, because he is one of the most sought-after indie film actors out there. What it was like to be one of the biggest stars in the world during his Hercules and Andromeda uh, series days, and a very interesting look inside the vicious world that is Hollywood. We discuss how he was a victim of Hollywood accounting and was never paid the back end promised to him on Hercules' The Legendary Journeys. This was an eye-opening conversation with Kevin, and I Cannot wait to share it with you guys. So without any further ado, please enjoy my eye-opening and entertaining conversation with Kevin Sorbo. I'd like to welcome to the show Kevin Sorbo. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing good. How you doing, Alex? Good, my friend. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show, man. It's uh, it's I'm a I'm a fan, and and believe it or not, we've worked together beyond that you didn't even know. But I actually worked on two of your films. One of them being Abel's Field. Where oh, yeah. I was the colorist and the post supervisor. Wow! On Abel's sure. Field, uh, I, and love I, I love that movie. That movie deserved a theatrical. You know, it's weird with these independent movies. It's a yeah. It's luck of the draw. It's about P and A. It's about word of mouth. But you know, we got a big battle. We're battling the the Hollywood giant uh, studios. But that's a really good movie. It was a fun. It was a fun movie. I love the director. I love the producer. They did get picked up by Sony eventually. So I know they. I know it did at least get some sort of. Good release, and then I worked on another movie. I forgot it was it was you in a jungle fighting a a, a monster of some sort. I forgot the name of it. This is years ago, um, and I was the colorist on that one as well. It was in Louisiana. In Louisiana. Louisiana. Being in a jungle fighting a monster. It sounds like Hercules, but I shot that no, for seven years. No, no, it was not. It was definitely not Hercules. It was another movie. I'll find it. I was actually looking it up before our interview. I'm like, I couldn't find it in my. I've, I got a lot of. I got a lot of credits in my thing, so I was just kind of looking like where it is. And I know they changed the name afterwards anyway. But but I've so I have you on. I've had you on my demo reel for a while uh, back right. in the day when I was when I was color grading. Um, but uh, but I was a fan of yours since the beginning. Uh, but let me let me just start off the interview with how did you get into the business? Uh, I'm a really small town in Minnesota, about seven thousand people in it. Uh, we're about twenty five miles west of Minneapolis. Uh, mm-hmm. 
It's called Mound, Minnesota. It's on the beautiful shores of Lake Minnetonka. And uh, so get the name Lake Think Minnetonka. We were home to Tonka Toys. Uh, that was the industry in my little town. <laughs> Employed like, you know, 25% of the population there. But um, we went to the Guthrie Theater. And the Guthrie Theater is a very famous theater in Minneapolis. In fact, a lot of actors out of Broadway start there. A lot of things start there before they move. Like Lion King, for instance, was mm -hmm. there before they moved it to uh, uh, Broadway. So uh, we went, uh, 11 years old, we went to see The Merchant of Venice. Um, it was a field trip with my, my elementary school. Uh, I was 11, I don't know what the hell they were saying because it was Shakespeare, but I was mesmerized by it all. And um, I, you know, on the way home, I told my mom, I said, you know, I'm gonna be an actor. And she said, is that right? She goes, well, that's nice, dear. And, uh, you know, I, I kept it quiet because, you know, being a thespian where I came from, you know, we made fun of those people in the drama class. And I was a jock. I was a football, basketball, baseball guy. So uh, I, I had to hide in that closet, so to speak, until I got into college where I had a double major in business, but I took a minor in drama. So I, but I, you know, Minneapolis um, really offered a lot of great things for me because a lot of people don't realize that Minnesota, Minneapolis is headquartered. National Corps to 3M, Honeywell, Pillsbury, General Mills, Target, Best Buy. So all these companies based out there did all their commercials back in the day there. So I got that all important Screen Actors Guild card by doing uh, commercials all through college. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that's when I was, I was on, when I was in Florida, uh, you know, the actors I worked with, they were just just dying to get onto the, to get that SAG card. And that's yeah. how, and, they, and many of them got them just by doing that commercial. Like, Oh my God, I'm SAG eligible now because I got this, com this commercial. So it is, it is a hustle being an actor. There is no, yeah. no, no it's doubt different. about it. Look, I had a double major marketing and advertising. I tell people I market and advertise myself because you are your own product in this industry, mm -hmm. you know, and you got to get out there. And uh, most of the time I tell people that want to get a business, they go, what's it like? And I go, I'll get ready for, you know, a lot of doors being slammed in your face because rejection is the main thing of Hollywood. So, um, you know, it's a matter of getting out and getting out there. I remember I did a lot of commercials. I'm one of the few guys I know that I befriended when I moved out there because I don't know anybody. Um, uh, I already had the SAG card. I already had the commercial agent because I sent my reel out to the commercial agents that I, you know, found out about. And they all signed me because, you know, I had a good reel already. I already had like 40 commercials on there. And uh, so they knew my face from commercials. So that wasn't a problem. I never had to work another job. Between 1986 and 1992, I shot over 100 commercials. Wow. You were, a wor you were an actual working actor. I was a working actor. And in between of that was, you know, I, it, it, it enabled me to do the really good acting classes. I, stud I studied with um, uh, Roy London. Uh, mm -hmm. For instance, uh, you know, Roy, Roy, my, that class alone, I had uh, Matthew Perry's in that class, me, Brad Pitt was in that class with me, Charlotte Ross. I mean, we're, I'm some really good people that went on to do obviously have really good careers. So um, it, it enabled me to, to study and, and not have to like miss things because of work or something like that. And um, I remember my commercial agent one time I, I called up because, you know, once you start to get to know people, hey, man, there's one for there's one for Coca-Cola. You hear about that one? You know, we're, we're, and so I'd call my agent all the time. Hey, what about this one? And my commercial agent said to me one time, Kevin, I got 100 other clients. You know, and I said, I don't give a crap about your other clients. Do you think they care about me? My mantra was let me have the opportunity to be rejected. That's what I said. Let me at least go in there. I'm willing to drive in this crap hole traffic of Los Angeles to do, a, you know, and wait an hour before they see me for my two-minute little uh, audition scene, uh, let me have the chance to get turned down. I mean, I, I treated it like a business. I really pounded the pavement. Now, you know, you know, I've, I mean, I've, I've been directed for a long time, and I've, I've obviously done a lot of auditions, and we as filmmakers get a tremendous amount of rejection, but it pales in comparison to the immense amount of rejection that actors have to deal with on a day. I mean, sometimes being rejected four or five, six times a day, if they get to that many auditions, how do you deal? How, how did you deal with rejection? Cause I'm assuming, yeah, you were a working actor, but I'm assuming for those hundred so commercials, you probably went out for 2000 of them. Oh, sure. Uh, I, uh, I lived in uh, Santa Monica, right? In Ocean Park Boulevard. <laughs> I was right in the Venice border and to deal with rejection, I went and pumped iron every day at Gold's Gym and biked, and either biked or rollerbladed down to Manhattan back every day. Um, otherwise, I think I would have gone postal on people. You really have to find <laughs> an outlet. I think we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
And I think being that jock I used to be, that outlet was amazing for me. And uh, I, and I needed it. I needed it. I, and I also played. Uh, I had six years. I was in three basketball leagues. So I was I was playing basketball three times. We had one in um, Pasadena, one in the Northridge, and one in Beverly Hills. So I was in, I was playing hoops all the time. So I was always physically staying active to burn off that frustration. <laughs> because, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely frustrating, to say the least. I got down the last two guys for Lois and Clark. It was Dean Kane and myself. Dean's right. a very dear friend of mine. He's a great guy. And we both did our, our um, auditions, our, our screen test with Terry Hatcher, who already had the role. <clears throat> And uh, that night, my manager called. She got the role, Kevin. That was when Lorimar Studios used to be in Warner Brothers there. They're gone now. But um, um, I think Les Moonves was the president there before he moved to CBS. Right. So uh, they called me. You got the role. I got excited. We went and partied. And oh. then the next day, they said, yeah, they changed their mind. They're going Dean King. Yeah. And I was kidding me. Oh. So, so the, the absolute high, high, highs of acting, low, low, low. It's, it's a very frustrating business. But... Um, ultimately, three months later, I did book the role of Hercules. And as I love to tell Dean, my show went for seven seasons down in New Zealand, around the world. 176 countries became the most watched TV show in the world. And you got canned after three seasons. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it all worked out for everybody. Worked out for me. Dean's a great guy. We've done a couple movies together. And we got another one we want to do together next year. We're trying to raise money for right now. Now, what is the one thing you wish you would have known when you started in the business? Um, I wasn't surprised how political it is. I wasn't surprised how crazy it is, you know, because I, I knew enough about it. I, and even just in the commercial world in a, in a smaller uh, place like Minneapolis, St. Paul, which really isn't that small. It's pretty big, pretty big around mm -hmm. there, too. But um, I just I, I, I had a hard dealing with the backstabbing that came from your own agents and your own managers that you found out about later. I remember one time I was in talking to my commercial agent, a good buddy of mine, and I just finished golfing. Mm -hmm. And I stopped by and said, hey, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And right next to me, I heard a, 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 the booker from my buddy say, oh, court, no, court's out of town right now, but I got a much better person for the role anyway. And I stood up and I said, I just got off the, I just got off the golf course with court. I busted him. And I told, and this happens all the time. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. And also, you know, when, when you sign, I got very lucky. I had two series, Hercules and Andromeda. So I had 12 mm -hmm. straight years of two series. I had the lead in them. And both of them, one went seven years, one went five years. And it, the percentage of you get in the second season is very rare. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the, the amazing thing is how corrupt the industry is. Because uh, you've heard it before, the creative accounting. Oh. They admit to it. They admit to it. Yeah. A back end deal on your series oh. or movie means you're going to take it in the back end. That's really what it comes down. That's great. That's actually a really great term. <laughs> I spent nine years in my lawsuit for my back end on Hercules with Andromeda, and ultimately ended up getting throwing out. And I find out that the judge behind it all was in the back pocket of the studio already the whole time. Oh. And my man, I had really, I had really big uh, entertainment lawyers, big big ones that handled like the big name actors out there, and they said to me, "Well, you know." You know, I said, why, why can't they just be honest? And he said, well, it's the price of doing business. Really? The wow. price of doing business is try to screw you over. When, when Titanic was the first movie to make a billion dollars back in, what, 1997? Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger gets up in front of an audience of two billion people around the world and says, here's a movie even the studio won't be able to hide the profits in. And you got a lot of nervous laughter from those first 10 rows of all the big wigs that run the whole frickin' world, you know. But uh, it's amazing to me how corrupt the industry is. And it's, and it's pretty open about it, you know. Oh, and it's, it's something I've been yelling and screaming up from the top of the lungs trying to warn filmmakers about because – and I've seen it like, you know, you know, working on posts for such a long time on films like Abel's Field and things like that. I hear it from the producers. I hear what's going on with distribution and yeah. the Hollywood accounting and, and all of that kind of it, – it's – I, I remember I had a conversation with a distributor on a film of mine, and he actually told me, he goes, well, you." I was asking him, like, why is the check so small, or, or where is this check coming from? Or like, I got a check, you know, like, but where? I, no reporting. I didn't know what it was from. I'm like, thank you for this little money, but I like, what, what is it? And he's like, what are you complaining about? You got a check. Most filmmakers don't even get a check. Yeah. So nonchalant about it. It was just like – it was just like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. It was so nonchalant. I was like, oh, my God, this is completely entrenched. In and if, like you, 
if you get into a second season, a third season of a TV series, trust me, they're making money and they're making big money. And behind closed doors, they will each admit it. I've golfed with these guys and they sit there and go, yeah, it is kind of what goes on in the business. But he goes, oh, yeah, I made money on that right away. But, you know, certain people get paid and other people don't get paid because you got to play that Hollywood game. And I'm not a very good player at that stupid game. I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a Hollywood guy. Mm-hmm. But I love being on the set. I love making movies. I love doing TV series. I, I you know, it's I still get very excited when I'm working. I, I, I love doing it. And I'm going to hopefully, you know, thank God for independent movies. I'm still able to keep our career going. Now, with um with Hercules, how did you get involved with Hercules? Because if I'm not mistaken, it started off with some it was like movies first. Right. And then it turned into a series. Yeah, we did five to our movies. For it. When, when my agent called me on this one. I kept, I'm, a, I'm not a small guy. I'm a 6'3", you know, and back then I weighed around 225. I'm 210 now because I'm getting older. It's hard to keep the muscle mass on. <laughs> Still working out every day, though. Um, but uh, when I got the call, I thought, all right, you know, I mean, I'm athletic. I've played sports. I'm, I'm a, you know, I work out all the time. I lift weights all the time. But my, I told him, Dante's going to want some, you know, 280-pound, no-neck, you know, bodybuilder type. I said, no, what they're looking for is a guy that looks like he's an NFL quarterback or maybe a decathlon guy. And I said, okay, that's interesting. So I read the read the sides. I went in and read for it at Universal. About a week and a half later, they called me back in again. Another week and a half later, they called me back in again. Another week. They called me in seven times over like two and a half months. Wow. And on the very last time, I was a big build there at, uh, right off of uh, the, the, uh, the 101, that mm-hmm. Universal. Yeah, the, you know, you, you the pull, big tower. You pull in you, the big black towers right sure. in the highway. I mm-hmm. call it, I call it the building where actors go to die. But um, <laughs> I, I went I went in there. I was down to the last three guys, and uh, Sam Raimi was our executive producer. Mm-hmm. So I, I get in there. I'm on the stage, and they must have had there's like 30 people in there. They're all whoever's gonna make this decision for this TV series. There's all the the men and women that have all the power in, at Universal to decide what TV shows get picked up and which ones don't. Right. So I got on stage and I said, you know, you guys have brought me in here a lot. I appreciate it. Um, I signed the contract because now you're down the last three. They're gonna make a decision. Right. So we sign that five and a half year contract in case it goes more than more than one. You know, turns into something more. And I said, you guys never give me any direction here. Is there some way you want me to do this? And, you know, I'm looking at Mr. Ramey. He says, no, we like what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. So I read I read again with the with the actress. And then um, they said, that's great. That's great. Okay. Um, Sam hits the woman next. <laughs> she goes, she goes, oh, yeah, um, I need you to, um, I have to ask you to take your shirt off, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I. If you watch the show, I was in good shape. So I took my shirt off and there was a, you know, a few audible, oh my, sort of a gasp. (laughs) And then being the smart ass that I am, I said, well, I'm a lot bigger out of my clothes. (laughs) So um, Sam says to me, Ramey says, so if if you get the role, Kevin, would you be willing to, you know, shave your stomach and chest? I'm not like Robin Williams, like seven inches of growth, but I got a little man cover there. Sure. And, uh. And uh, he said, would you be willing to shave it? And I went, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you wanted a man for this role. And I started walking off the stage. <laughs> it, got, it got a big laugh from everybody. Wow, wow. And um, I said, thank you all. And I left. And the next day, I flew to Vancouver to show my Chicklin's series, The Commission. Mm-hmm. So the third day on, on the set, I Somebody, one of the PAs come up, oh, you got to call your manager. So I call my manager, Beverly Dean. And Beverly says, you got the role. You're going to be Hercules. Uh, you're going to do five tour movies. You're going down to New Zealand and blah, blah, blah. She's very, she was all excited. I walked back on the set and I looked at Chicklist and I said, I don't want any crap from you. I'm half God now. <laughs> so um, so um, I, went, I, went, I went down there. I, actually, for the next two months. I pumped a little harder, put another five pounds of muscle on, and I trained with Douglas Wong. Douglas Wong was one of Bruce Lee's original students. Oh, yes. And we yes, went yes. six days. Oh, great guy. We went, uh, he, has, he developed a thing called the White Lotus Kung Fu Method, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But he taught me all kinds of weapons. We worked like eight hours a day for, for five days a week for two months. I go to New Zealand. Who do they book opposite me to play Zeus but Anthony Quinn? So I get a whole year working with Anthony Quinn. Holy cow. And if your listeners don't know, he has shame on you. Yes. <laughs> please, everyone, just Google Anthony Quinn. Please. People need- we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
people need in this industry, they need to get schooled on on the people that were there before us. And this mm -hmm. is a guy that was nominated for six Academy Awards. He won twice. Um, so it was halfway through the third movie where something happened on the set with Michael Hurst, who played my sidekick, Eolas. And the whole crew laughed up, just cracked up. And I looked at him, because we, we ad-libbed in the show, not to make writers mad, but we would ad-lib stuff, and they could take, take it off if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. But I looked at Michael, and I said, That's what, this show's going to get picked up as a series. He goes, you think so? I said, yeah, because there's nothing like it on TV right now. There's nothing like this. It has this big a scope with the cinematography. I mean, it was New Zealand. It was beautiful. Um, the wardrobes we had, the fight scenes that we did, the monsters that we had. And um, sure enough, by the end of the, movie, the third movie, Universal said, we love what we see. We haven't released anything yet. We're still cutting the first three movies, but you're going to stay down there. We're going to make this a TV series. And so by our season three, not only did we spin off uh, the female sort of Hercules version with Xena, Warrior Princess, um, that same season, you know how Hollywood is. If something's hot, they all copy it. Uh, Sheena came out, another, another female thing. Um, uh, Robin Hood. Tarzan, Sinbad, Conan, all these other shows came out to sort of copy what we were doing. And by season three, we did pass Baywatch as the most watched TV show in the world, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. And you guys were shooting in New Zealand before it was in Vogue. It was before Lord of, was it, it was before Lord of the Rings, right? Oh, way before Lord. Peter Jackson used to come on the set to see how the crew was developing because we shot from 1993 through the end of 1999. I was down there for seven right. years. And we had um, – uh, Peter would come on to see the crew was developing because all during that decade, he was writing all three uh, movies of Lord of the Rings. And when we wrapped, he took 80% of my crew. He took all the stunt guys. He took uh, our, our, our um, camera team. We took, uh, uh, well, John Mahaffey and Peter McCaffrey, the camera guys, were just amazing. Uh, John Mahaffey ended up doing second unit directing on all those things, plus all the Spider-Man movies after that. But uh, Nyla Dixon won uh, the Academy Award for Best Wardrobe for Lord of the Rings. I always told my crew, I said, you know, it's ridiculous. If they don't want to nominate us for a Golden Globe or an Emmy, fine, for acting, whatever like that. But to not look at us for cinematography. There's nothing on TV that looked as beautiful as this show. And for our wardrobe. And I was sort of like, okay, she ended up winning the Academy Award for the wardrobe on Lord of the Rings. She should have right. got a Golden Globe or Emmy on my show because the wardrobe on my show in Xena was amazing. Right. And um, our stunt guys were just incredible as well. So I don't know. It's it, it's it's the politics of the business once again because we were a first run syndicated show. We weren't a network show. So they just like they didn't want to pay attention to us, even though we had higher ratings than most shows on networks. And it was it was funny because I I really never heard of and maybe you can tell me if this happened before, but the a studio doing a five movie like deal first, then to see then roll it into a series. Has that been done before? Well, here's what here's why that happened. It's called the Action Pack Wheel, okay. where they had they had four other shows doing movies. We were the only ones that did five movies because they loved what the show looked like. The other ones did four. You had Tech Wars that Shatner was producing. Mm -hmm. You had Midnight Run, where they took the that movie that Charles Grodin and De Niro did, which is such a great movie. It is. And they had they had uh, B.J. and the Bear, and they mm -hmm. had Vanishing Sun, this this uh, karate thing. Okay, so we were the only one that uh, it was funny because. Uh, Sid Scheinberg was the uh, was the president of, mm -hmm. of Universal at the time, and I remember um, it was like it was around season three, and I was back home at the Universal Christmas party, and he comes up to me and says, "You know, I got to be honest with you. When they came up with this action wheel, uh, we just figured Hercules would be the first to go, and you're the only one that's still around. <laughs> so it shows you how much they don't know. It's just like throwing spaghetti against the bloody wall and see what sticks. But um, I, you know, it's it, it, it's 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 funny how well, no, what I was going to say is if in back in the 70s, they had McMillan and Wife and McCloud and they had mm -hmm. all these 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 two hour rotating shows that would go on every like every Wednesday night. And I think that's what they're trying to copy again with this action pack. But it just didn't it just didn't take off. I don't I don't know what happened to Tech Wars and why that didn't work. But uh, we were the only ones that ended up surviving, which is great. I mean, to be fair, I mean, on paper, it does not sound like if you, if you would sell, like, you know, we're going to do Tech Wars, we're, we're going to do, and we're going to do Hercules. Like, Hercules is one of those stories that has just obviously been beaten to death forever sure. because it's just, an, it's one of the older stories around. But yet, you couldn't quantify the magic of the chemistry of what you did and what the writers did, what the directing team did, the production team, everything. It's just that whole soup is not on the paper. Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of us do what, what Sam Raimi's brand now, too. You know, I mean, they love the quirky humor and breaking the fourth wall like Gilligan's Island or something. I mean, 
you know, every time I even turn my head, they put a big sound effect on, you know, in the, in the fight scenes. I love doing the fight scenes. You know, we did three every episode, basically. And Peter Bell, our stunt choreographer, would let me work with, I mean, we would sit there and we shot like eight to 10 day episodes. So I was down in New Zealand 10 months a year. That was home for me for seven years. So when we were not fight, shooting a fight scene that day, we'd still be rehearsing. I'd go in and block a scene, then I'd go, you know, 50 meters away with the stunt guys to rehearse what the next, you know, fight, fight scene is going to be. And we all try to put in funny stuff. Like if I would throw a guy 100 meters and he lands, you know, they put a wire rig on him, he lands in a cow pie in a pasture somewhere, and then I kick a sword out of one guy's hand and flies through the air. We always make sure as that flies through the air, make sure that guy's getting back up and that sword hits him in the back of the head and knocks him back in the cow pie. The whole thing, you know, in a bar fight, I throw a guy out the bar, you know, through the wall, and it's a cut up body of his, you know, right. you know, the, the hole in the wall is his cut up body. And fans love that stuff. And it was it was corny, it was cheesy, but it was done that way in purpose because we knew with a show like this, we gotta we want people to laugh with us and not laugh at us. It, had, it, it worked. Yeah, it's a very. You had to do a little tongue in cheek. I mean, you know, if you would have done it dead serious, I, I think it probably would have not. <laughs> I, I said tongue firmly planted in cheek when I talked about <laughs> it. So. And so, and to go back to what you were saying earlier, you had to actually fight for back end participation on on that all that stuff for Hercules. Uh, believe it or not, they after seven years they were going to do seasons eight, nine, and ten. Right. I got approached by Majel Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry's widow to do the first show ever created by Gene Roddenberry after the original Star Trek series back in 1969. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't Star Trek, it wasn't Enterprise, it wasn't the, the next generation, it was actually um, Andromeda. And my captain, Captain Dylan Hunt, was the first captain ever created for Captain Kirk. So they, she came to me and said, boom, they gave me a, they gave me a uh, two-year two guarantee, 44 episode pay or play. If the show didn't even go, they're going to pay me for 44 episodes. Holy cow. At the salary that I was being offered for season eight on Hercules per episode. It was, wow. it was, it was a mafia deal, too good to turn down. Yeah. And I'm a Star Trek fan to begin with. Sure. And Universal wasn't that mad about it because they own the sci-fi channel anyway. So I was like I was still part of that family. But because I didn't sign eight, nine, and ten, I think it was like a screw you to me. And... Um, it's, it's amazing what they will do to juggle the books. You know, they said, they said, oh, we lost so much money on the show. Like, what do you mean you lost money? I knew they were making money. By season two, season three, they're making big money. But they can say whatever they want. And if they own the court systems, they own, I mean, it's amazing to me how corrupt the system is. And, it, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. I know guys that did other series that didn't get paid on their back end either. I knew James Garner. I used to golf with the late James Garner. Yeah. And I was a big fan of Rockford Files. Yeah. He had, a, he had to fight 13 years for his back end deal. 13 years. Go, oh, we didn't make it in Rockford Files. It's, it's unbelievable what these guys do. And it's, it's, they say, oh, it's just part of doing business. Well, no, it's not. Just be honest. But there's no honesty and integrity. It's, it's gone, you know, and it's, it's, it's sad that so, um, a battle. So I never got paid my back end. Oh, my God. That's insane. They had Sam Raimi and Rob Tapper's contracts down there during the negotiations, during the moderation. Mine's next to theirs. My lawyer says their definitions are identical when you paid those guys. One lawyer from that studio said, well, all depends how you want to define the word definition. And that's when I said to the moderator, we better go to a different rooms right now because I'm about to go across the table and probably do something that's going to hurt this guy. <laughs> so Wow. Amazing what uh, what they'll do. So, uh, you know, and I'm a Midwest guy. To me, a handshake shakes as good as a contract. But, you sure. know, you see, you'll see how thick the contracts are in Hollywood with all the double talk. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like Washington, D.C., right? What They, mm -hmm. they had a 5,000 page bill the other day and they mm -hmm. said you got six hours to read it. Yeah, yeah, they yeah they do that constantly all the time. They do stuff like yep. that. It's so then, but if you would have played ball and gotten seven, eight, nine signed, uh, that might have been different for you. Is what they're saying? Who knows? Knows no Who one knows. knows. I don't think I don't think it would have been a different. I I'm, I know guys that uh, didn't get paid in their back ends. Other shows I won't name them, but they came back and said, "Hey, we want to do a movie out of this," and they said, "Forget it." And then they got paid their back end all of a sudden to do the. So movie. when when so basically, if they want something from you, you can give them more money somewhere else. Generally, they they'll play ball. Like the Rockwood file thing is insane.
We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's insane. Rock for Fire was a huge, I mean, what, the 13 seasons? 13 seasons. I don't know when 13 seasons, but he took him 13 years to fight it. Oh, yeah. I think, I think they got seven years out of it or eight uh, years yeah, out of it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. But well, still. 13 years before he got paid. And he did finally get paid. He finally got paid. Jeez. Yeah. But, you know, how much money did they make on the money they owed him for over those 13 years? Oh, of course. Of course. No, it's you it's know? it's... it's Oh, it is, it is, it is, it is. It's, it's, aren't you happy you're in a business? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You know, it's not the city of angels. It's a city of broken dreams. But no, uh, no question. It's, it's a business that I think you'll agree. It doesn't matter what side of the cam you're on. Yeah. It's a business you want to be involved in. Especially yeah. if, and the more I've figured this out in my in my tenure in the business is the more control you have over the product, the distribution, the sure. creation yourself, the better yeah. chance you have to actually get paid. Uh, yeah, and- well, that's why that's why I'm doing my own stuff now. You know, so but I mean, I don't think anybody gets in the business and say like an actor. Well, I didn't really want to be an actor; it just sort of happened. Okay, right. It's like these supermodels that say, "I never really want to be a model." Yeah, you were just a hot babe that everybody was gawking at all the time. But I don't know. Somebody took my picture and paid me ten thousand dollars an hour. So I'm like, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> okay, I believe that. <laughs> now, um, can you explain something? Uh, because, I mean, obviously Hercules and Andromeda, you have fans. You have really passionate sci-fi fans. Um, and what – can you tell – explain to people what it's like to actually be at Comic-Con and, and, and to meet your fans? Because I've been on both sides of the table. I've been, on the, I've been getting the autograph and I've also given the autograph. And it is a really interesting – experience can you and and i can only imagine what it's like for someone like you so can you explain that to people you know it makes a difference if the show is current as well i mean i I still do comic cons i still get invited a lot of them i mean this year sucked of course i had about i I pick out about eight a year even though i probably get invited worldwide to maybe 30 Mm -hmm. i pick okay i've never been there i want to do that one again that was good but hercules and andromeda are still out there and there's still fans out there with it um but when it's current it's more rabid it's more insane because I'm there as Hercules. I come back for my two months that I'm back home in the States before I head back down for the next season. And so I still got the long hair. I still got the, you know, the look and you sit across a table and people are, they're, they're nervous. They're shaking. Yeah. They're shaking. They're scared. I've had a couple women faint at the table. Wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but, but now because it's like those people now are in their thirties they're the age I was when I filmed it during my all my seven years in my 30s, and now they got kids, so they're showing it to their kids. And there's more. It's just kind of a nostalgic thing for them now to see me, and meet with me. But their kids are the ones that's all open eyes. But um, I love doing them. I, I have a blast doing them. I, I I'm a golf nut, so I'll golf every con I go to. I te- I, I find a course. Well, let me tee off at seven in the morning. I golf fast. I'll do 18 holes in less than two hours. Mm-hmm. And I go to the con and hang out, and we go to dinner with some of the other actors. Like going to dinner with Shatner is just a just a hoot, man. <laughs> like, fans will come up to me during dinner, and I'm I'm cool about it. I'm I, Shatner's like he won't take any of them. <laughs> He's just oh. like he goes, I'm eating. Okay, you want to talk to me? Come to the con tomorrow or something, you know? And I I sort of get that too, because I've been I've been sleeping on an airplane. I've had people wake me up. No, I mean you see I'm sleeping. And hey, can I get a picture with you? <laughs> <laughs> sleeping here, you know? Are you kidding? No. Wow. But but most pe- most people are really cool. You get the people that hate you too. I mean, when I got married, I had female fans right then. Well, I hope people watch your show now. So they got they got mad. I got married. I guess they thought if they sent me a picture of them in a bra or something, I'd end up marrying them. I don't right. know. It was, the, it was that dream, that hope that he's not married yet. So there's still a hope that I might just maybe. But uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but m- most fans are pretty cool. I got to say most, most people, especially now with the movies I do, a lot of family friendly movies like right. Abel's field with, a, you know, movies I call with a good message in there and stuff. So um, I know I've lost some fans with that. You know, I'm heavy on Twitter and social media and I, I posted truth. And like Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. And a lot of people can't. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to believe whatever 
right. whatever is being fed them on the internet. Because if it's on the internet, it must be true. So. Well, I mean, that's the law. I mean, that's the law, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's just, you know, if it's on the internet, it has to be true. Um, <laughs> now, uh, there was a movie that you did uh, called Call the Conqueror. Sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because it seemed to me that that was in the middle of the Hercules, okay. you know, fire, not firestorm, but in the, in, the, in the hurricane that was Hercules. And and it was a universal project. So I think they were kind of, if and please correct me, they were kind of grooming you for something at that point. Can you talk a little bit about Cole? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Rafaela De Laurentiis called me up and um, she's Dino's daughter and she worked on the first, she produced, I think, the first, uh, I think all three of the Conan movies. Conan, Cull, Cull was Conan's father in the books and also in the comic books. And uh, they sent me the script, and I knew it was in that vein of Hercules, but it was much more violent, much more sexual. And um, they were worried about me offending my Hercules fans. I was not. I wanted to do the way the script was written, which was much darker than what we ultimately shot. Mm -hmm. But they, they took the, they made that R movie a PG-13 and a kind of a light PG-13, really. We, we had a lot of humor in there as well, which I love humor in everything. I want, I want, the, I love the humor and all that stuff. But um, yeah, they were kind of grooming me to sort of take over, not really take over Arnold, but do the next thing because I had another movie right after that that I was supposed to start filming as well, but that fell apart because uh, of an illness that I suffered. And um, but uh, it was a bummer that I, I wasn't able to continue with it. But Cole. Call was fun. It did okay. They opened on Labor Day weekend, which is just stupid. And I knew it was stupid. I said, I told my manager, I said, we got to fight this. This is dumb. I mean, I know what the numbers are. People have gone to movies all summer long. And now Labor Day weekend is most schools have been open for a week or two and people are done right. going to movies. And I said, this is a Thanksgiving movie. Please wait. And they wouldn't, Universal wouldn't listen. And so the movie did okay. It's done very well in reruns in DVD sales, and because every time I go to an autograph shows, Comic-Con shows, I get at least 30 or 40 people to come out to have me autograph the DVD. So I know it's out there and people like it. And it's funny you just mention it because I was at the gym just yesterday with my son here, and uh, there's two people that came up and they brought that up. What cracks me up is I did uh, the last season of The O.C., and I'll meet these mm -hmm. these women or college girls. Oh, I loved you on the OC. So I got, you know, 250 episodes between Hercules and Andromeda. They know nothing about that, but they know those eight episodes on the <laughs> OC. <laughs> it, it, it must be, I mean, as, as an actor with such a fan base, and you, I mean, you've done so much in your career. I mean, can you just, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but for people to understand what it's like to kind of walk in your shoes, like when you walk out in public, you know, you do get recognized. And and because, I mean, Hercules was, like you said, one of the biggest shows in the world. And I'm assuming this is worldwide. I'm sure you probably have stories that you were somewhere in Europe one day and and people just walk up to you like, Hercules! and <laughs> Or they go, Hercules, Hercules, you know. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but how, what is that like? Because, I mean, I, I don't, I'm never going to have that experience. So I'm just curious if you if you could share a little bit of that. People, like I said, people are people are really nice about it. Last year, I had three Comic Cons in a row in Europe, one weekend after the other. I looked at my wife and I said, I got three three teenage kids, two boys and a girl. And I said, let's take the kids. Let's go spend a month in Europe. Thank God it wasn't this year because it all would have been canceled. Right. So it was, it was a year and a half ago already. So I had one in um, one in Vienna, one in Munich, and one up in Brussels. And so amazing. When I was well, when I graduated college, I went to Europe to spend three months. I ended up living in Europe for three and a half years. So before I moved to L.A., I stayed in Europe. I was with an agent in Milan, agent up in Munich, in Zurich, in uh, in uh, uh, Hamburg, London. So I shot a bunch of commercials when I was in Europe as well. So I loved being there. It made me grow up. I was as a 22 year old kid. It made me grow up and really. I'm in a different country, different language, different culture, and it was really good for me to do it. It's, I mean, it's a different world over there now, but it was it was great back then. So to take the kids back there was amazing, and to go back and walk through the old. I lived in Munich for like a year and a half. Walk back my old neighborhood and go out wherever we went out. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, it's Hercules or Andromeda. It was always. It was all, all of that in every city we went to outside of the Comic-Con. Of course, the Comic-Con brings in those crowds, right. but just walking the streets. It happens every day. I mean, of course, now I get to wear a mask when I'm walking around, but <laughs> so, you know, get to hide yourself. And we can breathe our own you know, carbon monoxide, which is yeah. great. Yes. But <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
And now back to the show. But um, uh, it, it happens every day through airports and hotels. But what's interesting now, most of the time, it's about my family friendly movies like What If, God's Not Dead, Let There Be Light, Abel's Field. It's those kind of movies that people stop me now more than anything else, which is pretty, pretty amazing. That's awesome, man. That's really awesome. Now, when you're working with a director, what do you look for in a director when, when you're working with one? I want him to let me do whatever the hell I want. That's what I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know all. Stop it. Just let me do me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, – I love the blocking process. I do love blocking. I don't want to go out there and, – and I, and I like to rehearse for the actors off, off, you know, when you guys are setting up lights – some actors want to do it. Some some don't. They want to be more spontaneous with it or something like that. It's fine. Everybody's got their sort of little approach to things. Um, but I want the words to be secondary, right? I want to be in the. I want to be in there with the the Meisner technique. I'm working off you. You're working off me. Uh, but like I said earlier, I like if there's any chance for humor in there, I want to throw in humor. So I, I talk to the writers all the time. On Hercules, we were always three scripts ahead. So in between setups too, I'd be on, you know, on the set phone calling back to LA because the writers were in LA. They weren't with us there. And I say, Hey, I'm looking at, you know, this episode we're shooting in three weeks. I don't get this. or I love this part here. Can we expand on that? So I'm always open to work with the writers. I'm always open to work with the directors. Um, in all the years I've been involved in the business, I think it's only handful of directors that were really kind of a pain in the ass that were just tough to deal with. And it wasn't just me. It was with everybody. And, uh, but for the most part, I've been very fortunate. And, uh, even all the actors I've worked with, there was only one person all years in Hercules. I'm not going to name his name. Um, that, uh, was really a pain in the butt when he came down to guest star on the show and he was a pain in the butt for everybody and dangerous, dangerous in Mm -hmm. the fight scene, you know? And that's why, uh, actors think that, look, I'm a good athlete. I know I am. And I'm good at fight scenes. Um, and all the fight scenes I did in Hercules, which would be, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of them, um, I, I only hit one stunt guy, physically hurt him. And it was because he went past his mark when I throw an elbow behind me, because I'm throwing an elbow without looking as I'm fighting guys up here. Sure. And he went two feet past his mark, and yeah. I busted his nose. I, I mean, it was blood. His eyes were, you know, <laughs> and I'm going, Cliff, I'm sorry. He goes, it's my fault, man. It's my fault. You know, he's yeah. walking away from me. But I felt horrible about it. And uh, I know, you know, I've heard stories of Steven Seagal hurting guys all the time on the set. Right. And I said, no, do that. We found their actors, their ego is, well, I can do this. And I agree with Harrison Ford where he said, I don't like fighting actors because I'm doing it all the time. And these guys are not. But their ego is, well, I can do this. And I, that's the time I would tell my stunt guy, Sam, come on in. You're taking over for this one, you know, because it just wasn't worth it for me to get hurt because I got hurt enough on that show just doing stuff the way it was. And, um, you know, that was my ego that wanted me to do my my own stunts. But I just had fun doing it. I I love doing it. And and now and I know you mean you've you've worked on every scope of production from, you know, indie indie budgets to multimillion dollar budgets. How do you deal as an actor with difficult production environments? Because I've been I've been I've involved in difficult production environments when I'm not the director, but and I just I, I just watch to see how and I and I can only imagine like on the production side it's tough enough, but if you're the actor in front of the camera and you're the star, how do you deal with you know not to say incompetence but maybe you know ego. Things like that. What do you do as an actor, especially? Well, it, it also depends, I guess, where you are in your career at that point, too. Yeah. Well, I think the best thing to do when you reach those points, um, which thankfully for me, I didn't have it a lot in the career that spanned 35 years now. Um, you take those people aside one on one. I don't like making, I don't like one, I don't never want to embarrass people in front of the, the crew. I don't want to, to me, I like, I don't care if I'm acting or if I'm directing on it. Um, I like to have a fun set and mm-hmm. I, I love to work fast. Um, I, I believe in Clint Eastwood's mentality. You know, you're an actor, uh, you come in prepared. You're on the camera team, you come in prepared. Uh, Clint does two takes, and they move on one if it's if it's if he's happy with it. You know, and, he, and th- he's used to people coming in. And I'll whisper to directors. I mean, a lot of these younger directors think, you know, old Hollywood. You got to work 16-hour days. You know, and I'll whisper in their ear. Oh, by the way, Clint Eastwood does eight-hour days and makes Academy Award-nominated movies, okay? Just, just saying. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> you know there's so much wasted time on the set. Oh, God. And so I, act, I act like an assistant first AD. 
you have the first AD, but then you got me. And I'll walk on set and go, what are we waiting for? What's going on? You know, just get get going. And on, on Andromeda, we kept a much Hercules was longer days only because of the locations. Action. And, and, uh, and action too. Action always takes a little time. Too. Uh, Andromeda, we we rarely went out, even though, you know, Stargate was just filming down the road from us where their studio was. But every time Stargate was always outside, but every planet looked like Vancouver, you know, just be, be, beautiful trees like that. So we rarely went outside. We did a lot of green screen. We kept it. We had two two big um, uh, studios that we had my ship and one. We had the Eureka Morrow and another one. And we did a lot of green screen. And we worked that show. Hercules, including drive time and lifting weights every day. I was 17 to 18 hours door to door. It was a brutal schedule. Wow. Uh, Andromeda was 12 hours door to door. If I if they pick me up at six, I'm home at six. My crew loved me because that crew had just come off X-Files. And David Duchovny moved X-Files down to L.A. for the last season or two yeah, or something. Yeah, I remember, like that. yeah. It created a big stir. He was like, I'm done with Vancouver. And I love Vancouver, by the way. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, my crew loved me because in most one-hour shows, by your call time at 5 a.m. in the morning on Monday – by Friday, because those 12-hour turnarounds, you're looking at a 5 o'clock in the afternoon start, and you shoot till 8 or 9 Saturday morning. We wrapped virtually every single day between 5 and 7 p.m., every day. My crew was going home every day and having dinner with their family, and they loved me for it after coming off the hellhole that they had on the hours they had on, on X-Files. So um, it can be done. And I, my latest movie, Miracle in East Texas, which will be in theaters next summer. I don't know if you can really see that poster back there. We can. Um, I directed it. We got Lou Gossett Jr. We got, uh, um, uh, John Ratzenberg was great. We got Tyler Maine. Uh, the, the WWF fans know who Tyler Maine is. He's mm-hmm. a six dude. Um, but he's also saber tooth in all the X-Men movies. Um, it's a great, wonderful movie set in 1930. So people look for that when that when that does come out, Miracle in East Texas, next spring. But that one, um, we wrapped every day between 10 and 12 hours of shooting at the at the most. We were outside at a ranch most of the time. We shot in the same location that they shot uh, Revenant, where they shot Unforgiven, where they shot Lonesome Dove, and Open Range with Kevin Costner. So uh, it was a great location, and the people, the crew we had was phenomenal. And uh, I. There's no reason that you can't, you know, shoot 12 hour days max. There's just no reason. You just got to get people moving and keep things going. I like an AD. I want to, I don't want to be the jerk on the set. That's my AD's job. I need an AD who's tough and uh, on, on top of things. And uh, he, he's got to be, he's got to be the bad cop. I'll be the good cop. But I, I've always trusted in everybody that I hire for their departments from hair and makeup to wardrobe to camera that you're hired because you know your job better than I do, which of course they do. So, um, you know, I may have ideas, but I, I want I want it to be as corny as it sounds. I want to be a collaborative effort, which it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a bird's eye view of a set, I don't care what it, what kind of movie it is, independent, big budget movie. As you know, it's uh, I call it organized chaos. You know, it's just it's crazy with all the people running around and hair people coming up and doing this person and camera guys, lighting guys. And all of a sudden and action. And then it just becomes that scene. Mm-hmm. Once and cut, and then it goes back into organized chaos again. <laughs> it's, 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 I know the second you yell cut, everyone rushes in. It's like this. Yeah, ins- yeah. It's, 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 like, it's, it's like it's like all the ants took a break, and then oh, we found a dead animal. <laughs> then they just run the dead animal. <laughs> you know, so. So but, what? So how do you how do you like directing now? I mean, I mean, did you direct any Hercules episodes? I started directing on Hercules. Yeah, I've how? been I've, I've been DGA now for 20, 24 years, and Pete uh, SAG for over over thirty five years. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I I love it. Um, I, I I think I'm very good at at keeping separate the acting part and the, and the direct part. When I'm in the scene, cause I'm in all, I'm in the movies I direct as well. Uh, I will, I will leave it over to my, my first AD to do the action and cut. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like to, I love to film rehearsals cause there's some I wonderful things that happen. In I rehearsals. do too. I do. I love it. If I can, I do it. How many times have you been on set when the director didn't film it? I said, I go, just shoot it. You know what? It's digital. Come on. And that camera <laughs> was able to stop that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
And now back to the show. Get it on film. Get it yeah. on film. Because in, 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 uh, one thing that bugs me more than anything is if an actor screws up in a line, even if it's me, don't cut. Mm. That, 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 it shuts the energy down right away. It just shuts it down, mm-hmm. you know? And we in very few directors did that on Andromeda, which is great. You know, you screw up. And I go, no, 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 go, just go, go again, go, go, keep going, boom. And I just get back in that mode and go again. Give me the give me the lead in line, whatever it may be. But um, keep keep that energy going. Because a lot of times then the DP goes, wait a minute, I just gotta fix a light. You know that's 15 minutes. <laughs> you they always have to fix oh. a light. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know what? I think it, I think it, it's, it's perfect for every for every department. That a friend of mine who who um, is an editor says you can never ever stop editing. You just got to find a place to finally stop. Yeah. Oh yeah. You you, know? you, you never you, you, a movie's never finished. It's abandoned. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, we're done. You know, because you sit in that editing room and thank God it's just as quick as it is today. What it used to be. Oh. The cut pace world. Um, but still, if you get in there and you can get glassy eyed after a while, you know, it's just like, trust oh. me, I know, trust yeah. me, I definitely so what know I, what I will do when I get my first director's cut in is I will bring over about 10 buddies of mine, friends of mine in the industry and let them watch it and get their thoughts on it. I think it's a smart. And I think every director read through is important. Every writer read through is important of writer scripts because writers are there and they're at three in the morning and they're writing and writing and writing. And then um, they get too close to it. And there, there can be such major holes in people's scripts that they can't see anymore. You get, bunch, you get a bunch of actors that you know as a writer to read it out loud and you can hear it out loud and you'll go, oh, okay, yeah, and make your notes during that. I think it's important. That's that's amazing. That's very, it's very, very true. I mean, a lot of times when I, I tell writers as well, like, read the dialogue that you're writing because it might read well, but when someone says it, not so much. <laughs> those poor those part writers take the most abuse and they got the hardest job. <laughs> they do. The, the hardest job. You, you know, how do you find a great script? I mean, I may have been on the set many times and I've been guilty of it too, where the actor goes, who wrote this crap? <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad for writers, you know, and actors take enough abuse the way it is. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 a tough job. I wrote one episode of Hercules, and we shot it, but I'll never do it again. It's just it's way too much work for me. And and how and by the way, I mean you've done so many projects. How do you pick projects? Because I'm assuming you're getting bombarded with opportunities all the time. You know, it's funny on on LinkedIn, um, KevinSorbo.net, where people can go get a hold of me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get I get ten fifteen scripts a day sent. I mean a week sent to me. Nice. I don't and I and, and I got to type the same thing over again. I'm only looking for funded projects right now because I've got, you know, I've whittled down <sighs> down to about down to about 20 that I want to do. And it was 25, but I've done five of those so far. Um, the hardest thing is finding funding, of course. It's so frustrating to find money for independent movies. And independent movies are fine with Avengers, fine with Pirates of the Caribbean, fine with these, you know, all these action movies that cost 300 million bucks and they'll spend $100 million promoting it. So they're on every... Uh, there are trailers on every football and basketball game and every whatever. Um, and we're, I'm doing movies that are three, four million dollars. People think that's a lot of money. That's like the catering budget on Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, seriously. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I, I do movies that have uh, that aren't filled with violence and hate and anger. That seems the only thing coming out of, out of Hollywood right now. Are these movies that have such a negative viewpoint and just and everything's got to be weird and and just offbeat and i like to do movies that people can go to and go like a blindside movie or green book which was awesome movie well so and soul surfer soul surfer and soul yeah soul surfer movies that have a positive message movies that characters i can never be hercules in real life you'll never be iron man okay but we can be the characters that we see on what made me fall in love with acting was my mom i'd sit with her when i was a kid Watching Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy and, and you know, all these wonderful actors in that golden age. And I love these movies. And with, with, the, with the humor and the whatever that was in there, I just said, yeah, that's, you know, I see actors that never seen Casablanca, these young kids. You've never seen Casablanca? Mm. You've never seen, you know, Lawrence of Arabia? All these great old these movies that were just mad, Ten Commandments. I mean, there's so many massive movies out there. And uh, people that get in this business, I think, need to get more educated 
on the history of the business as well. I think this is important. I mean, I was I was doing a color session years ago with a, one of the hottest music video directors in the world at the time, and I'm 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 color grading this and I'm working on this project. I'm like, hey, do you want a little Blade Runner here? And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, wow. I'm like, you're a music video director and you haven't studied Ridley Scott, probably one of the greatest commercial and visual yeah. storytellers of all time. He's like, no, I'm like, I need to stop the session right now. We're going to go, I'm going to grab my Blu-ray. We're going to watch the scene. And I'm like, I was like, are you kidding me? And I was the old fogey in the room and I was like 30 something. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it's, it's, it's insane. I just want to touch back really quickly um, when you're getting all these scripts, because I, I want to do you a service. So everyone listening, because I know a lot of people are going to try to, probably reach out to you because they're all filmmakers and everybody wants to get their projects done. A lot of times when they're, and I've t- I try to tell people not to do this, they'll reach out to, you know, actors of your statute and with, and with your credibility, your bankability, and they'll go, Hey, here's my script. I need a letter of intent to go help find money. Can you explain why that is something, do you do letters of intent? Is it, is that something I mean, all about, if I read the script, I give scripts 20 pages. If the okay. 20 pages still hold my interest, then I'll keep reading it. If it doesn't, I'll move on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'll, I'll do a letter of intent only now if it really has my interest, because almost all these movies come in with no money attached to it. Right. And there's and and it's and it's frustrating. But if it's a role that really hits me after 20 pages, then I'm interested. I mean, look, I got three movies in the can right now. One of them's Miracle in East Texas. They're going to be in theaters next year. Hopefully, we get past this COVID ridiculousness of shutting mm-hmm. down the world, ruining people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a new TV series called The Potwins. Um, it's like a Last Man Standing Tim Allen series. It's, it's, nice. We have shot eight. We shot eight episodes this past July and August in beautiful San Bernardino, and um, it was uh, uh, Barry Boswick plays my dad, and it. it's it's hilarious. It's, Great. it's very very funny stuff. We'll see what happens with that. We did, like I said, we did eight was episodes. That, was that independent? Um, yeah, it's independent. It's independent, but Netflix is interested and Fox is interested right now. So we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, um, then I've got uh, four movies lined up for next year already. One of them I'm directing as well. We just got funded for that one. We raised, uh, like 4.2 million, but I, I see it's like every two years I'm able to raise this money. I want to be able to do two of these movies a year. It's tough out there guys. And I know people come to me saying, well, I got a nice little independent movie. That's a good, you know, I call them actors movies. I'm going to backtrack this a little bit. When I look for movies now, I want to look for movies that, that move people. Like you said, the, like soul surfer, mm-hmm. like Blindside, like, like green book, which I thought was amazing. Viggo mm-hmm. Morton's incredible. Oh, it's a great I, book. Like doing, I love doing movies like that, that people go, I know guys like that, or I can relate to that. Make you laugh, make you cry. Movies that have hope in them. We, you know, we lost them. We have so much anger and hate in our world right now and divisiveness. I want to do movies that hopefully will pull people together and, you know, have a good message in there for anybody and everybody looking for something good. Because I think I think most people are. I just think the media loves to perpetuate the anger and hate right now. I think most people are good people. And, um, you know, we just got to find a place where, uh, uh, you know, we can do movies that that, that get made. And I, I meet very wealthy people. I do a lot of charity. I do a lot of charity golf events. Mm. I meet very wealthy guys and they can spend nine million dollars, you know, promoting some candidate for governor or president that doesn't get elected. And they're going, going that nine million bucks. I could have made two or three really good movies with that. That would be out there forever because that candidate you were just backing. No yeah. one remembers who that is anymore. You know, right. So it's weird. It's, it's weird where we got to fight for the culture now, I think, more than anything else. And that's kind of the movies I want to do. Movies with a positive message. And you also have a book out, right? I got. I have a book that came out called True uh, True Strength that came out about eight years ago. I finally wrote the follow-up called True Faith. Uh, True Strength was born out of uh, – in, in the season five in Hercules, I was having all kinds of problems with my left arm and my shoulder and my fingers were cold and numb. I couldn't figure what was going on. I came back to do promotional work on – I was on Letterman, Leno, doing all the talk shows um, for Call the Conqueror. So I went to see my doctor in, in Beverly Hills there, and he found a lump way up here. Before they could do a, a biopsy, and thank God they didn't, it ended up being an aneurysm that had been spitting blood clots down my arm for months. Well, it opened up, sent hundreds of clots in my arm, and unfortunately, four clots in my brain. I suffered four strokes. Oh, my God, man. So I spent I, – I had another action movie I was going to be doing. I couldn't do it because I couldn't walk anymore. So I had to learn to walk and balance over the next four months again. It took me three years to fully recover. If you watch the last two seasons of Hercules, you can see I lost about 15 pounds of muscle. 
because I wasn't able to work out the way I was working out before. And I went from a 18 hour door to door day to about a three hour door to door over those two years of slowly building myself back up to about 10 hours a day. But it took me three full years to recover from it. And true strength, um, people can go to kevinsorbo.net and get an autographed copy. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It opened a door for me I thought I'd never be doing, which is speaking events. I do about, I've had all 12 speaking events here canceled because of COVID. Right. I've done yeah. two in the last month, fortunately. Went back in my home state of Minnesota, and I just did one up in, um, in, uh, in, uh, in Dallas. I was in Dallas last week. So it's starting to open up again slowly. But it's really about uh, true strength is sort of playing words. Because in Hercules, I had a lot of stunt guys making me look like a stud, right? So uh, I couldn't beat up those guys in real life. So um, for me, it's like you got to find your own true strength because everybody's got a story. Everybody's going to have a roadblock in their life, no matter what age you're at, that you got to find out, what am I going to do? Am I going to blame God, family, friends, everybody else? The reality is you got to look in the mirror and say, okay, it happened to me. What am I going to do about it now? And you got to find your own way to get back to living a life again instead of blaming and crying and whining about it. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests, uh, what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? Uh, go for it. Intern. Intern. I mean, don't get paid for it. The heck with it. Get yourself on the set. You know, I tell people all the time, I got, when I, my first, my first uh, acting coach was Bill Trailer at the Lost Studios there in mm -hmm. LA. His wife, Peggy Fury, had died just the year before in a car accident. Um, but he taught me so much in terms of just just sticking with it and going for it. But interning is just a way to get yourself on a set. He told me to keep doing the commercials I'm doing. He says, because you're putting in miles. You're getting in front of a camera. Some commercials I talked in, other ones I didn't. I got to be on a beach with a beautiful girl in a bikini selling, you know, orange juice or whatever, you know. But you're on that set and you're doing stuff. I remember an actor in that class kind of made fun of me. Oh, you're not a real actor. You're doing commercials. Well, I got a hot date one night. He's my waiter, okay? I don't have to wait tables. I got money to be able to go out and have a meal. Uh, do do commercials. I'm telling you one thing. Number one, you get your side card. Mm -hmm. And num number two, you'll make money. The first two years on Hercules, I made less money than I did the previous three years that I made on commercial residuals. Because I would, at any given time, I could have 15 checks a day coming in. That's whether amazing. it was $10 or $1,000, but I would... Rip open every check while I'm watching Monday Night Football going, this is awesome, you know. And there's money in there, but there's also a chance for you to do the things you want to do to further your career. And so I, I tell people, get on the set and intern at any position. Watch what people do. Learn that way. Kevin Costner did that at Raleigh Studios. Mm -hmm. He learned, what, okay, this is what the Carpenters guys are doing. This is what the camera guys are doing. Do you think he's a good director? Yeah, I think he's a damn good director and a damn good actor. Yep, absolutely. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Um, I think patience more than anything else. I'm a very impatient person. Me too. <laughs> what I did learn earlier that's that's that kind of ties in with patience as a as a, as a positive thing against the negative of patience is failure. I used to caddy at this private country club in in Minneapolis. Very wealthy guys. Most of the guys I carry for between 30 and 70, okay? They're all successful guys, all had money. And I would ask them, you know, here I am, this 18, 19 year old kid carrying double bags, is walking on the fairway. How did you become successful? They all said, Kevin, oh, I failed. And then I failed again. And then I failed again. And then I kept failing. He said, failure is a positive thing, not a negative thing. You've got you to gotta get rid of all the bad stuff, but take the positive stuff and drag that along with you because. Um, that's what I learned getting out to Hollywood with all those doors being slammed in your face. Because I, as I told you, as an actor, oh, you're too young, you're too old, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too whatever. There's always reasons they want to get rid of you. So I just, uh, I, I looked at that as a positive thing. I said, I know every actor, they get in their car and they're chewing on their steering wheel when they're driving the 405. Why the hell did I say it that way? Why didn't I do it this mm -hmm. way? Mm -hmm. I got to a point, I just get in the car and said, I did the best I could. If they don't pick me, it's their loss. And that changed a lot for me, just being a lot more positive about it. Very cool. And last question, what are three of your favorite films of all time? I already named one of them, Casablanca. No yes. question about that one. Yes. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson. Great movie. Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. Awesome. 
And then it, it's, it's a tough one because there's so many great ones in there. But uh, I'm going to take HUD. It's an earlier Paul yeah, Newman movie. Yeah, that's, I remember that's HUD. Unbelievable. I, the reason I want to be an actor were Paul Newman and Robert Redford. I've met Redford. Newman passed away. But I have a letter from uh, Paul Newman that's on my wall in my office. And um, uh, it, it was great supportive letter and how he, you know, was a fan of the stuff I've done. And uh, oh, it's just, it was just, it was just pretty cool. But uh, of course, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and the Sting are pretty darn good too. <laughs> They're not bad. They're not bad films. They're not bad yeah. films. They're not yeah. bad at all. Kevin, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and uh, in this crazy, crazy time that we're in. Um, and I appreciate you, uh, everything you've done in your career and a lot of joy that you've brought to a lot of people over the years as well with all the parts you've done. So thank you again, my friend, and uh, safe, safe travels. I want to thank Kevin for coming on the show and sharing his adventures in Hollywood. Thank you so much, Kevin. If you want to get links to anything we talked about in this episode, including how to reach out to Kevin on his official site um, and check out other things that he is doing, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 315. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at BulletproofScreenwriting.tv. 